Hey Rippers, are you learning to surf? But have you got a clue? Or are you a big old kook? Since there's a million ways to kook it, you should stick around and learn a few things. Because if you don't know, let me tell you right now that surfers love to spot a kook. But don't get all stressed about it, because everyone kooks it once in a while. And that's the reason we started KookCast. Because the more you know, the less you'll kook it. <laughs> so bust out your swimmies and get ready to learn. KookCast is here to lead you on your journey out of kookdom one episode at a time. And hopefully, offer you some traction on this slippery slope between kookery and killing it. I'm your host, Coach Chris, and I started the surf coaching and education resource, thesurfcontinuum.com. And this week on the show, oh, it's a special one. I do love to have this now repeat guest on. His name is Matt Warshaw, and he's responsible for the Encyclopedia of Surfing, among, among other contributions to surf archive. So, you know, there's, there's just some things in life that feel like it's our responsibility to make sure it stays, you know, like, like the arts, for example, paintings, sculptures, music. We can't let that die. Another one of those things is history, specifically surf history. And it's such an important thing that we need to preserve and protect. And, uh, well, thankfully, Matt's been handling it for years now. All we need to do is make sure to support our surf education with his work. Become a subscriber, read his articles and entries in the EOS database, and, and then you can realize that $30 a year is nothing for all the value he's created. And, uh, yeah, consider donating on top really supercharges efforts and, and get them cranking along. Um, so head over to eos.surf to subscribe, or uh, you can go to eos.surf forward slash donate to help even more. All right, so now that you've taken care of that, let's get into the episode. We, uh, we started off by talking about surfboards and their unique relationship to surfers compared with other athletes in the world and, and their respective equipment. Um, because, you know, surfers love their surfboards, <laughs> like in love with them. We get them custom shaped and we give our shapers painstaking details on how they should be made. We're, we're heartbroken at the first ding and we're lost if one of them breaks. Um, I don't know about you, but I definitely, absolutely cherish my custom boards from from Coach Ev, La Mission Surfboards, with my name under the fiberglass and a little quote from them written there and the dimensions. It's, uh, it's a pretty special thing. So anyway, to kick off the conversation with Matt, I basically asked him, you know, like, in what other sport can you think of does an athlete feel the same way about their equipment as a surfer does with their surfboard? I don't think any athletes do. I, I guess the closest thing would be musicians. I mean, it's more like violins or something. Or, and it, when I, God, 20 or 25 or 30 years ago, there was a movie called A River Runs Through It. And I think it was produced by Robert Redford. I can't remember who starred in it. But it was, um, and I can't remember exactly what the plot was, but it was a, it was either a father, son, or two brothers were coming together who didn't get along that great. And, the, and their common, their, their, their thing in common was fly fishing. Mm -hmm. And there was a lot in that about like just making flies. You know, I, I, but I don't know, you know, I think that's, um, that's almost more like a hands-on, that's like the DIY thing of how fun it is to make something, which I think in the, in surf anyway, sport probably was more interesting when we were all making our own equipment. But that fly fishing thing, those guys were so intended to their, to their, to their rods. Um, sorry. <laughs> uh, they're, you know, they're making those flies and, and, uh, and there was this, these beautiful, these beautiful, and I don't fish. I, I have no interest in, in fishing whatsoever, but there was these beautiful shots of these two guys out, you know, casting. And it felt very surf in a way that, I, I mean, I couldn't relate to what was going on and I catching fish doesn't mean anything to me, but how intent they were and how it was sort of in between um, a, uh, a hobby and a, and a sort of meditative really reminded me of surf. So that's the only thing that kind of comes to mind. You know what I, I feel about the, the flies is that the making your own flies is they're very 
disposable, you know, like it wouldn't right. be the worst thing in the world to lose it. But when you break your favorite right. board, you're like, no, oh my, yeah. you're like, I'll never replace it. You know, it really I is. I, I was stumped to think, and I think you nailed it though with the, the musical instruments. I think that's the equivalent. It's gotta right. be because right. it's, it's that in touch with that equipment that enables you to do what you do. It's something that you get custom made or that you feel a connection right. to one versus the other. It creates something beautiful. It, like, I think that's as close as I can get. I mean, but that it, isn't that a great question? I really loved it. And I, I had to write it down because I was like, this is a good question for somebody. And then realizing that you and I were speaking after the trip, I was like, ooh, Matt would be the perfect person to ask. I never got, I never got the thing except that it looks so cool, but I never got the thing about like um, when rock and rollers starting with um, Hendrix, although I think there were people before before that who would smash their instruments. Mm -hmm. Like the pictures of Jimi Hendrix setting his guitar on fire and, yeah. and uh, you know, you just go, oh my God, wow, it looks, that's so cool and it's so rock and roll. But then if you sort of think about it, like, well, I don't I don't I don't I never quite get got what the message was supposed to be, even though I loved it and it looks so great, you know, but um, it was dramatic for sure. But you know what? I still see a connection here because you see that now in professional surfing when like the guys get all fired up, they didn't get the score and they start punching their board or they like break it on the beach or against the lockers, you know. And they have these emotional outbursts to their boards, but really those boards are not the same as the boards I was talking about and the boards that we were so proud of on our trip because most of us were riding boards our friends shaped. You know, me and my partner, Evan, yeah, right, like he shapes right. all my boards, so it's right. special. Like I could never hit that board. Even when somebody like is picking it up, I'm like, uh, like I cringe, you know, yeah, and I wanna yeah. like go grab it like it's my baby and I don't want them to drop it, you know? Yeah. Whereas Hendrix and these pro surfers nowadays probably just had this, uh, like unexasperate uh, what's the word like they couldn't use up all the available guitars or surfboards that are made to them you know and they're kind of popped out of a machine and they're kind of mass produced so it doesn't have the same um soul in it you know you know i just had a long back and forth email with um how old are you chris 34 so do you, does the name Tom Parrish mean anything to you? He used to make, he made yes. all those lightning bolts. Like the, whenever you see a picture, not of Lopez, but let's see, who did Parrish? That whole lightning bolt phase from the early and mid seventies, like I'd say eight out of the 10, eight out of 10 photos you see of someone riding a lightning bolt who was famous. It was probably a riding a Tom Parrish board. And he was the guy that everybody, he was the man with the red hot planer was, some magazine and he made boards for Hackman and Roy Russell and everybody, I think, except for Jerry Lopez and Barry Kanayapuni and Reno, cause they made their own boards. But, um, Paris is a bit of a recluse and he got in touch with me some, some point a couple months ago. Um, and we started emailing and, oh, I, I did a, I did a Sunday joint about how much I love computer shape boards, despite what we've, I, I, I love that boards used to be one of a kind. And if you broke it, that was it. There was no, there was never any um, replacing a board or duplicating a board. I remember trying endlessly to get boards duped and it never, ever worked. Not mm -hmm. even close. I remember, you know, a shaper would make me two boards that were identical and they never rode the same. Right. And I love that boards now do ride the same. <laughs> I think it was kind of cooler back then when they didn't, but now that the technology's here, I'll take advantage of it. So I was saying this is a good thing. I love, uh, you know, down with the shaping guru, up with machines. And Parrish, Tom didn't disagree exactly, but he did make this point that I completely missed out on, which was the sort of environmental thing, which is um, all those pros get boards made by the dozen. They'll just get a dozen six threes and they'll just take them out for an hour at a time and just discard them and keep the two they like, right? Mm. And that whole pop out thing of it, um, apart from being less, it makes the sport less interesting. It's more interesting when if you break a board, it's irreplaceable. I, you know, from a practical point of view, I don't like that. But like from a romantic point of view, I think that's awesome. Like you yeah, know, yeah, the, yeah. the whole thing about magic boards, like, you know, I don't think we talk as much about magic boards anymore because if you're writing uh, whatever template came out of um, Timmy Patterson's, you know, template box you can just pop the make another one for you and it probably will ride very much the same mm. but i hadn't thought about like one of the things tom was saying with all the pop-up boards is like he's just going it's so bad for the environment because you're just 
making 12 instead of two or something. Um, yeah, and I, you know, I didn't mean to take it on an environmental thing. I was thinking I actually wanted to stay more on the romantic part of it because I do, you know, the, people will ask me, what was your, you know, your best boards? And probably a lot of my best boards were in the last 10 years when I was just getting computer made boards, boom, boom, boom. And one was like the other. And mm -hmm. if I broke a board, I could get another one. But when I think of what my best boards were, it was these three or four boards I had um, in the seventies and maybe the early eighties that uh, for one reason or another um, were cruelly taken. I either I broke them or they were stolen. I had a board fly off the freeway driving to Huntington. I think everybody has a story like that. No, <laughs> I had the, this was the, it was just one of the best boards I ever had. It was, um, it was the first stinger I had when stingers first came out and some friends came to get me. I lived in Manhattan beach. They came to pick me up to go surfing early and I was still tired when they drove up. It was probably dark and I threw my board on the rack and we went to Huntington and I never heard it come off the car. So we just got there. Oh no. And it just wasn't there. You, you didn't know? even get and to go south. There was no, there was nothing to do. I just, <laughs> and I, and so I, I remember getting like four or five boards from my shaper, like make me one like that one. And mm -hmm. they didn't work. So like the, that magic board thing, um, God, I love that. I just love, this is this the old, the old guy talking on the front porch, but it was, it was, there was something to all those boards being, um, individual and going back further like when when, board, when everybody made their own boards was pretty special too that was we used to always make our own skateboards which which is great right I, I you know tell me what you think about this i feel like part of the romance of like the magic board comes from just the human condition the the, the human the humanity in us that when something is made for you whether it's actually good for you or not, right, in right. your head, in your heart, this board was made for you. And you and, you carry it with that pride and you paddle it out and you catch waves with that exactly. feeling in you yeah. that this is for me. This was made for me. It's got my well, name and, and, on the stringer under the glass. So that's part even, of what makes the magic. Right, and even more so, like if you go back 10 or 20 years before I started when it wasn't just that it was made for you, it was made by you. Mm. you know, then it's, you know, amazing. Right, um, right. But, but, um, I, I was going to do a thing, I think maybe in the next week's Sunday joint, um, about how when, when, when we used to have boards that were re really special boards, how much the, the, you know, people used to keep their boards for a lot longer. So, uh, I talked in, or I emailed with Nat Young, um, a few months ago about the board that he won the 1966 world title on was, he nicknamed it Sam. Right. Yeah. Um, I remember this. And that and that board was, I think the, I think the '66 World Titles ended in like October first, maybe. And he made that board when he got back from Hawaii the previous winter season. So I said, "Did you make it like in January or February?" And he goes, "Yeah, at the latest, you know." So he made that board, let's just say mid-January, and rode the same board until September, when he won the world title. And you, so I mean, that was what is that? You know, that's that's ten months or something. Right. He kept the same board, and then I had this. Um, I've got all these pictures of Billy Hamilton from 1969. These are the ones I'm going to post on the joint, I think. And uh, there's this one beautiful picture of him surfing in Velzyland on this brand new, uh, um, like, diamond tail. No stickers on it. It's just like, you know, a clear board, white. Mm -hmm. and he, he's just pulling into a little section at Velzyland. Beautiful. And then I've got another picture of him, and I'm sure it's the same board, where it's the same it's the same board except that it's got a big red jagged um like it looks almost like a racing stripe around the middle and what that meant back in the day was the board had buckled and he sanded it and finished it and, it, and he decided to put red instead of you know try to just make it a contrasting color right right instead of trying to hide it just completely and then there's another thing i've got where in from pacific vibrations shot film the same year where he's in the backyard sanding a board that's clearly the same board and then he walks down to the beach holding that same jagged with the jagged red stripe on it. And I've got one final picture where it's the same board, the red stripe and the whole, the, the last six inches of the nose has been cut off and it's also red. So he must've smashed the nose. <laughs> so he's got this new board. He breaks it, fixes it, smashes the nose, fixes that and rode the same board in Hawaii. You know, the whole winter with, which, you know, I mean, anybody else now, you know, it gets a ding and again, you're just going to pull one off the rack and, 
Right. So um, that's how much that board meant to Billy Hamilton, who at that point was like, you know, maybe, you know, the second most revered surfer in the world or something or, or the most. And he just wouldn't, couldn't get a new board. He, he liked that board too much, you know? So, yeah. I, you know, I, again, I kind of like being able to just get the same board, but I also do respect and, 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 um, uh, I love that that's part of our history, you know, sure, and it still yeah. is for like, you know, you're talking about the boards you were guys talking about. It still is for a lot of people. Right, right. Well, that's that's part. That's kind of the beautiful thing. I think like there's an overlap right now. There's still shapers out there who right, refuse right. to like right. use a machine, you know, right. And they will just hand shape boards and only take on clients that that want a board like that and will pay right. a little extra money for the man hours and just support that craft. And there is right. sort of a resurgence in, in just the handcrafted goods in all other industries I'm noticing too. You right. know, people are starting to buy from like the local potter and, and get their right. honey from the local beekeeper. And you right. know, that's coming back, I, I, I sense, a little bit in all industries. I just think that also surfing is, is a little behind all that stuff. Like we're only just getting to a point where we're like, wow, we can make the same board over and over again. Like hit right. the button again, hit the button again, you know, right. give me another one. Um, well, and then, and, and then, you know, tie that or, 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 you know, braid, braid that idea into being able to make perfect waves out of touch of a button, you know? And, and I guess if I was going to, um, I always think about what am I, I'm so caught up in what I do just daily posting things on encyclopedia of surfing and, and occasionally I'll step back and think, Oh, what am I, you know, what is, what is the point of all this? And part of it is just that, um, um, I feel very strongly about this with regard to the waves, not obviously not so much with the boards, although we can, I'd love talking with you about the boards. And I'm thinking again about like how the, the board thing was so cool and is so cool when the boards are individual, but, but the, the idea that we can uh, create waves that touch of a button and why I'm so against it. And I seem like such a Luddite is that um, surfing had these certain things that made it really different and separate and, and apart from the rest of sport. And that's, and um, the, the stuff that we had to do, the people that we have to be, I'm speaking in the past tense and I probably shouldn't, the stuff that we still have to do and the people that we do have to be in order to chase surf at a, at a, at a level that keeps us somewhere close to satisfied, like somewhere close to happy, which surfers live in a perpetual state of desire, which I think is the best, is the reason why it's such a great sport. Mm. It's you're never filled up. So if I, if you go skiing, you can go skiing for three days and, you know, go home satisfied. And the number of times that I left the water happy with how many waves I'd got or filled up, like, you know, I don't know, you know, one in 500 sessions, sometimes in Nicaragua, like, you know, but it didn't happen. And so I, you know, the, the thing that I thought was that I've always thought was the most interesting about surfing and what I've kind of worked to preserve is the idea that it's, it's very unique. And the reason why it's unique is because we do all this nuts stuff, small little small things to huge things to just sort of keep in pursuit of it, right? And and that's totally. It doesn't even mean that it's a better sport, but that's the thing that makes it different than other sports. And right. um, um, I'm I'm never not fascinated by uh, thinking back on my own surf life and but, but most mostly in terms of surfing in general about how all the all those little frictions and all those little places where we have to make a decision. To, to cut to cut this class to uh take this job to miss this dinner all the things that we've done just to ride waves i mean you know it sound how does it, you know people have made some crazy decisions to to just keep surfing and i, I might have been defending it but i just find it endlessly interesting that we've that we did it you know and being able to pop out of away with the quality of Cape St. Francis every three minutes. Um, so gets in my head and, 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 and sort of disturbs my whole thing about what I think about surfing that, uh, um, you know, I've actually just gone around, I, I, you know, I surf Kelly's wave and I've gone around, um, in a, in bad moods, just going, what a shame that that's what it's come to. <laughs> um, and it's not that I think it's not that I feel like it shouldn't have happened. You, you that genie was always going to pop out of that bottle, always. You know, mm. it's 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 not difficult technology. It's just expensive technology. But 
something happened when Kelly dropped that video, um, that very first one, where um, that, you know, I think we probably talked about, talked about this before, but that put a, a real line, uh, a BC, uh, AD line on, in, in surf, yeah, yeah, yeah. surf world. And, and um, I, for one, you know, want people to remember that the sport kind of grew out of uh, an environment where the whole reason why it was interesting was that we didn't have perfect waves on tap that you had to do all these nuts things to uh go out and find enough waves to feel satisfied yeah i so i had so many feelings as you went through that thought you know and and different ways that i you know wanted different things i wanted to say so i'll try not to sound scatterbrained (laughs) as i as i come back at you but one of the things that struck me was how you said at some point, you know, surf, as surfers, we've done little things and big things to get waves, you know, and, and, and the reason we have to cut that class and not wait till after is because we know that's the window, that it's right. going to be the best chance of waves. So right. we're willing to make those sacrifices. So it seems to me you could categorize Kelly's endeavor for the wave to be one of those big things you do as a surfer to get good waves. Like, how much money did he spend? How many years did he invest in trying to figure out how to make this happen so that he could ride perfect waves? Because I think at the end of the day, it was a selfish endeavor. I think he just yeah, but, wanted but, to make a perfect wave, and, and he went but, through but, all that to do it. I would, I'm I, I, like the, the, what he did and what, what the result was on a tech, technological level, even though I just said it was simple, is still amazing. Like, when I still see that wave, I just, I still, this lizard part of my brain just goes, look at that. I can't believe it. And I, part of me still just wants to call up whatever connection I can and say, how, how, when can I go ride some? Cause I haven't, I, you know, I haven't ridden a wave like that since the last one I rode down there. You know, all I've done is go to gone and surf whatever shitty beach break I'm confined here or there. Um, but, um, it doesn't, there's no such thing as a perfect wave anymore. If you, if you can make a perfect wave every time that you've, all you've done, you've created us. Um, it's just a, it's a skate ramp. It's a, you know, so when, when 10 second tube rides are, um, are low scoring waves in a surf contest, then you've gone, you've done something really fundamental. And, and I, I, I think, you know, count counter to what made surfing great. It, it just changed. It just, it just changes the actual DNA of, of the sport to something more like half pipe. And these are all discussions that have been had for years and years and years, but I, I just wanted to sort of, I can never, I can never get too far away from it. And we're talking about surfboards, at the push of a button and like the waves of the push of a button. That, that's, that is an interesting thing of where we're at right now, yeah. but well, you're I, right too. And go, I was just saying you're right too. Like you can also, you know, it's also not hard or not too impossible to say, I don't care about that. You take the, you take your homemade boards to central America and you sit, on a place and you wake up and you see what the tide's doing and pick the board you want and go surf these waves and you make your decision on where on the beach you're going to surf and you're back to doing it just the way people have always done it. Yeah. Insist on the purity of it. You know, you don't have to get snowballed into it, but no, let me, let me just say though, like my, my rebuttal wasn't actually a counter to your thought. I actually a hundred percent agree. I, I feel so I'm a little bummed about all the wave pool stuff, you know, like it's, it's, it kind of steals from what makes me feel so proud as a surfer because I'm not the best surfer in the world as far as performance goes. I'm not doing these full rotation airs and connecting all maneuvers on a single wave and doing what makes me proud of myself as a surfer is understanding the ocean and tides and water movement and knowing like, okay, if you want to get your wave, okay. And maybe once I get that wave, I'm just going straight down the line and maybe doing a little closeout floater, but you know, the part I'm proud of is getting myself in that position, being one of the first people to be there because I know how to put the pieces together and score it. So the so, wave pool steals all of that from me. And right. now I'm just a guy who isn't as good as anybody else on the wave. Right. You know what I mean? Right. And it's like, now I'm not a great surfer anymore, you know? But that whole, that whole thing about um, stepping into you, somebody, somebody hopefully takes you surfing for the first time and pushes you into a wave. You stand up and you ride it. And I don't know how many, for how many people, you know, one out of four people, whatever, it changes something in them and they just go, that's what I'm going to do. Mm-hmm. I don't know. One, I'm just made up one in four, I don't know, yeah. whatever it did for me. And it did for you. And again, it's on the, on the other side of that. So that happened for me when I was eight. Now, now that I'm 61 
and I surfed more or less daily for 40 years and then sort of stopped 10 years ago. And I'm always thinking back about, God, all that time I spent doing it. And I don't regret a single moment because what, you know, what, what I remember was my uncle Daniel pushed me into this wave and I stood up and I said, this is what I'm going to do. And right up until the, when we moved to Seattle and I sort of just, I just sort of let the full time, let, let it go. And I surf occasionally now, right up until the end, it was puzzling through and figuring out and calculating and scheming and working through just, you know, four-dimensional how many different things i was trying to figure out to to just keep doing this thing uh better or to keep doing it more efficiently or to keep doing it um without getting hurt or you know to to work on to work you know i spent a lot of years when i was in san francisco all i wanted to do was ride tubes front side i never could do it backside and i mean in a way like my son you know, he's just getting, he's super, he's 12 and he's super into gaming. And it's just all about, you know, levels, just working through levels. And I was never a, a gamer really, but it was a 40 year thing that I, it occupied me. And, and it was, it was incredibly compelling to catch that first wave. And I was never not happily occupied trying to figure out what the next sort of thing was. Mm -hmm. All the, you know, like, you're never not thinking what spot do I want to go to. So like I again, if I would have known about the boom 20 years ago, a big part of my life would have been how do I make sure I can get to that place twice, three times a year. And then you know, the, the whole thing about how do I fine tune my boards? Uh, who do I before surf reports? Who can I call to find out how the surf is two hours away? It was mm. just the chess game of it is amazing. It's the best it's the best sort of chess game thing you know you can do and 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 for me I, that, that's my thought anyway and and um that's um and and having and any way that where you can cheat a little bit or shortcut it um what am i saying i i, I here i am making the decision about which cheats are okay or which ones <laughs> yeah, aren't. but yeah. i think that if you can press if you can get perfect waves all the time <laughs> and you've got um kids who've only been surfing for a few months getting two brides that took that normally would take years to be years. able to figure out you know then years. like you know that i i liked i liked and, and and the other thing about the you know again the 40 year thing of it is that even though you're going slowly through all of the different um developments you're always moving forward there's always there's always some satisfaction you know like mm. like um you know, one day you're going to ride your first six foot wave and then you're going to get your ass kicked for a while. And then, but the next winter, you're going to ride an eight foot wave and it, it takes forever. It's glacial. Uh, but it all, it all sort of goes forward. It all goes in one direction. You're never not feeling, I was never not feeling um, in it, happy to be doing it and uh, just consumed by it. And I like, yeah. I love that. You know, if yeah. I had gotten a tube ride, if I had gotten a 10 second tube ride, 18 months into my surfing experience, I don't think I would have kept doing it as for the way right. I did. It wouldn't have been as interesting. You know? This is that totally reminds me of a story you told on the first um, on the first episode we did together. Where was it your nephew who was taken up? Oh uh, yeah, take take him out, yeah. And he got yeah. the most epic ride ever. And on one hand, you were yeah. so stoked for him, and on the other, you were like, "Shit, he's never going to get that ride again. <laughs> like not for I 10 know. more years." And it's I the know. same conundrum, you know. It's like right, if you right. spoil yourself too early do you actually ruin surfing for yourself in the long term? You know, and, and you know what, another question the wave pool brings up, and again, you said it, you know, we've been talking about this for a long time just as surfers, but it's still valid, I think, and I enjoy being one of the people who gets to talk about it and not just listen to others talk about it. But what kind of surfers are we gonna have on our hand when a good majority of them only surf in a wave pool? How, what are they gonna be like in the ocean? Are they gonna be able to even get to the beach at the right time? Are they gonna right. need are their friends to tell them when? And then even when they do get there, are they gonna understand how to handle a, a, like a rip when it starts developing in their, their peak? Or 
you right. know, uh, an understanding like, oh, let me just shift my position over here, or take off a little deep. Like, no, in a wave pool, it's so templated, it's so right. choreographed that there's, there's, it's you learn it and then it, that's it. Whereas in surfing, it's this constant pursuit, no matter how many years right, you're doing right. it, of that, understanding right. what's happening around you and how to adapt yourself. Are they going to be adaptive or are they just going to be robotic surfers who, sure, when they get on a wave, they're outstanding. Right. But as far as what we consider the essence of being a surfer, they might be totally poor in. I don't know. I, I don't have any. I, the only answer I have, the, the only sort of partial answer is they're all going to be that the, 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 air, the air part of surfing is going to now develop five times as fast as it has before, which sure. um, I'm, I'm kind of interested in. But um, every every time Stab puts a clip of a kid taking off at Waco, setting up an air, I just click next. I just don't. <laughs> I just don't really care. You I know. know. Now it's getting to the point where like, now. like they're right, right. 12 years old. And then, you know, but I, at the same time, I'm so aware of not wanting to be the cranky guy that like, <laughs> that, 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 like, like, and I think that to so the last time somebody, somebody offered, I've been, the first time I got offered to go to Kelly's pool, I went and the second and third times I didn't go. And I think the next time someone asked me, I probably will go <laughs> because um, I don't want to sit here and, I, I don't know. I, I don't know. I don't, I don't know how big of a hypocrite that makes me. I'm the, <laughs> it the just makes you I human. Went, <laughs> the last time I surfed, we all got, my wife and I got vaxxed um, early on and my son turned 12 in August. So he was eligible to get vaxxed. And then about eight weeks after that, or actually right about when Teddy got vaxxed, my son, my wife and kid both got COVID. Um, yeah, I remember your email. I read your, by the way, I read your, the joint religiously. I oh, love thanks. them. It's, oh, the joint, the joint's eating my life up. But, oh. but anyway, I got sent, I didn't catch it. You know, again, just the irony, the old guy who's sort of, you know, probably the most um, vulnerable to all this di didn't get it. <laughs> and so um, when Jody got it at first, we go, well, you're, you're down in the basement, hon. We're going to stay up here and we'll, you know, we'll slide some pizza under the door and good luck. <laughs> and we'll see you in 10 days. And then two days later, Teddy got it. And then all of a sudden the tables turn and they go, well, no, you, you know, we get the house and I had to go down. Right. The We're West the majority Port. now. Right. <laughs> and, and so I got sort of kicked out of the house and I'm down to a place. I, a friend of mine's got a cabin at the beach, which was, and he was nice enough to let me. Um, Taint. Uh, <laughs> yeah. No, I, I, I ended up not, I, I tested on the way I, I was testing on the way to the cabin. And I think that by the time I got there, the results were in and it was negative. But, you know, I had I got down to the cabin at Westport and, um, you know, the first three days I was there, the surf was kind of fun. Um, and uh, I, it's and this, again, I, I don't even own any surfboards anymore, but I know everyone I know has got a ton of boards so I can anywhere I go, I can just pick a board out and which is great in that as bad as I surf now, I can always just say, well, that was, a, that was, that was the board. I couldn't, you know, whereas before when I was spending all the time with my boards, if I didn't surf well, it was on me. Now it's, you know, I, I just had to borrow this uh, big shitty board from Jeremy. But anyway, I was out there and, um, you know, I'm only, again, it's, I, I'm not, I'm not going to go to any good wave breaks because I, I don't feel, I, I don't even feel like I have enough, um, uh, sort of anger in me or, or, or ambition to get in there and really mix it up with a lineup of good surfers, you know? So I go to this break at Westport where if it's small enough, like it was this time, it was two or three other guys on the peak and I was able to sort of get the waves I wanted and it was fun. And I find now that if I can get three waves with a shoulder and bank off a of section and then head in, then I'm done, you know? So that's fun. I still feel I can get a little, I feel like I've, I've, I've angled. I've done some slow up and downs, bank <laughs> off a section gone in. But at the other hand, man, I, you know, I would like to ride a 30 second tube again at some point, <laughs> and I'm not going to get that. I'm not going to go out in the wild and get that. So um, am I going to let principle stand in the way of me riding um, a long hollow wave? Um, the last couple times that question was put to me, I said, I'm going to stand on my principle and not go, but I don't feel very confident about it that I'd say it again. And then, you know, I'd, I'd like to go ride a nice hollow long wave, even if I don't, you know, even if I just sort of stand there. Well, I feel like what, what excuses you from the, uh, 
you know, the sentence of being a hypocrite is your honesty, you know, yeah, it's just know. being like, I'm in a pickle. I don't know what to do. Yeah. I feel this way, but I also want to get tubed for 30 seconds. Like, what do you want me to do? I guess I'm just going to go get tubed and yeah, shut up anyway. everybody. <laughs> hey, right before we started, I was, I was, uh, there was two things on the surf continuum site that, um, that, uh, first of all, the, the hurricane Larry photos, I was looking at all those going, Oh, oh my God, look what you guys are surfing last September. <laughs> you know, and you kind of, I, um, you kind of own the page, didn't you? You got, you got, a, you got a lot of pictures of yourself up there. And I was going, look at coach Chris, man. It was just jamming. <laughs> well, I, I got to admit it is my website. So I get to control who yeah. gets to... <laughs> it's um, like owning the newspaper and then writing about you, yourself. You, you know? threw coach Evan a bone. There was a beautiful photo of him doing a bottom turn. That was great. Oh yeah. But, yeah. Well that was, that was actually the shot of the swell, believe it or not. And it was taken by a non-surfer. All those other shots are surfers or, I see. you know, used to be surfers who know how to frame it. They know right. where to be, you know, at what session is going to be at what, you know, the, when the tide's coming in or the wind's shifting this way, they know how to get there and get a few shots. This just so happened to be my friend's dad just kind of cruising around at the right place at the right time and spotting a surfer on a wave, points his camera and takes a click. It was and, like the, it was like the, um, it was the Zeke Lau bottom turn pick, right? It was yeah. amazing. Yep, yep. But so uh, first of all, I was just going, oh, wow, this is a really big, <laughs> great swell. And then I was flashing on how many, how much that, and I know that's, that's, that's a reef break, so it's different, but it looks so much like Ocean Beach where I spent the last 20 years before I moved here surfing, you know, big, like big faced waves like that. And it just sent me into a whole reverie about, you know, I, I'm sure that you were riding a, 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 you know, a seven foot plus board or something. And yeah, definitely. every time Ocean Beach would get a certain size, um, I love, I had this eight, six gun that would have been fine for so small YMA. And I just love paddling out on a big pinned out tri-fin and just riding, just getting in early and just sort of, and I, I could just feel what you guys were, how you guys were surfing those waves. And it was funny. I just was sitting here, not thinking much about being in the water this morning. And I went to your website and the hurricane Larry shots. I just spent about five minutes looking at all those pictures. And, um, uh, that's so actually great. that's flattering for me. I love that, Matt. Thank you so much. And the other thing I was I saw was uh, this is probably related to when Tom Morey died. Was you guys talking about riding boogies, right? Yes. Was that, was that you and Coach Evan as well? Oh yeah. Well, because we're always been preachers uh, again of just the the value of riding waves, and and uh, you know a lot of us kids, especially here in, in Long Island, where a lot of times you show up at the beach and it's just a little shore pound, you know. Right. Uh, you can't really surf that, but you can boogie it. Right, you know, right. you can get down and boogie and you can body surf it. And, and that's how I grew up learning how to surf, really. In fact, it was 10 years before I got a surfboard. It was it was probably my my I think I was 12. I, I never can remember exactly, but it was around that preteen age where I finally got my first surfboard. But up until then, I was boogie boarding. I was body surfing, whatever right, it took, right, trying right. to stand up on the thing. Right. And that episode actually was created because somebody said, like, hey, you guys always talk about you know, boogie boarding and the advantage it pays to, to your surfing journey, but you never actually like explicitly said so or, or how. So right. I think we tried to dive a little deeper on that, but yeah. And I, I think you can agree on this, just the merit of being on a boogie and learning how to set your rail, learning how to take, do takeoffs on an angle, right. you know, how to get inside the tube, how to wipe out, how to roll up on the sand without getting right. hurt. All those things right. pay you back in, in, in your surfing. And, 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 and I couldn't agree more. And I think at some point, God willing, we'll all end up back on a boogie or something because, totally. you know, but, but my whole thing it began like yours with, with body surfing, but then the first craft for us kids in Venice way back in the sixties was, it was before the boogie was the blow, you know, the, the mat the surf mat. Yeah. Right. And, um, I remember when the boogie came, I loved surf mat riding so much. Um, and when the boogie came out and we'd heard about it and a friend of mine, so the boogie came out, I think in 73. And there was this one kid in Manhattan beach that I'd moved from Venice to Manhattan by then. There was this one kid who always got everything early. I think his parents were sort of wealthy and <laughs> he got the first boogie. His name was uh, Matt also. And we all kind of lined up to try it. And I, I didn't, I didn't like it because, uh, 
compared to a mat, it sunk, you know, it wasn't as easy. Like, you know, the boogie didn't have anywhere near the flotation of a surf mat. And mm -hmm. I, the other thing I loved about mats was the ones I rode anyway, they had a, um, there was a rope threaded around the perimeter of it. So, you know, if you got caught inside, you just hold, it wasn't a rope, it was like a nylon, I guess it was like a nylon piece of rope, you'd hold the rope. And, and then also when you were paddling into a wave, you could grab that rope and pull the nose up. So any takeoff, on any wave that was you just could ride over the falls and just pull up and go straight in and, <laughs> and but I, you know the whole idea like boogie or mat of um riding something on your stomach uh in shitty waves or good waves but where uh you're not as quite as focused or about impressing other people or or standing or your style or whatever like that now has become so appealing to me because of just riding just riding waves for the sake of feeling you're you know here you are paddling for it and there's nothing and then it picks you up and there's that sort of thrill at the very beginning and then you're just off and um you know that first thrill that you would have got body surfing or boogie boarding um it's just uh has nothing to do with you it's just the fact uh the weird amaz amazing fact that you're riding a band of energy through water you know mm -hmm. and it's water air and whitewater, which is sort of both, and how um, just fundamentally weird and amazing that is, right? And, and that part, um, I'm looking forward to um, the days when I don't even think about picking a board up, or not a surfboard anyway, just a mat, or just getting back to riding ways um, with the excuse that I'm too old to like perform, you know. But I'm not looking forward to it actually. I, but I'm not. I'm not. Um, I'm glad that there's a uh, I'm glad that there's a place sort of at the end there where you can go back to the the, the thing that you started off on right and it's gonna be good again for the same reason it was good the first time right yeah. kind of which is kind of cool you know I mean you hear about ancient surfers who could no longer I think Flippy Hoffman I think was Flippy Hoffman at some point was just riding had some giant board with handles on it that he would just get on his knees and just trim. And he was a, you know, he was a great pioneering Flippy or Walter. I'm not sure which, but, and the quote was, I just can't stop doing it. I just, even if I'm so bad now, I just, all I want to do is just catch a wave and just ride it in still. And that's pretty cool that, you know, whatever's at the base of it. And again, you know, I don't want to keep steering it back to the machine, but like what, what is cool about riding a, a, a wave for sure, whether you're trimming out or riding straight or whatever is, uh, and it's not at a conscious level, but you're, you know, you're riding this band of energy that came from, thousand miles away in its last gasp up the beach and that's that is a remarkable um uh thing to do for a you know to to it's a remarkably you know it's a, it's a really satisfying at a lot of levels thing to do and 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 um i'm glad i found it i'm glad i'm going to keep doing it yeah yeah totally i i really i could not agree more on the just the whole full circle element of you know, coming back to the boogie or the mat or whatever it is, because it really is the essence of the joy we get from surfing. And we right. think it's from the turn or not. It's really the no. wave itself. It's the ride, you know, and that's why I'll never, you know, I'll, or I'll be very careful about my criticism of how people ride waves, you know, because right. ultimately right. they're getting they're getting their joy out of it there. And, right. and that's all it, that's all we're all ever doing, you know. Well, the, you know, the, the whole thing about the coop cast and, and the funny thing about like the irony of of um, the kook in, in general is that uh, I remember, you know, in the latter part of my years of surfing, when it was getting harder to sort of hit the happy spot, because um, I've been doing it so long, and a lot of what I was doing felt a little bit retread. And this was sort of in the 90s, and I had a bunch of friends, this is sort of the surf fad kind of came into like, for, um, I don't know, the first wave of like Silicon Valley and people who hadn't been surfers before were suddenly sort of really into it. This is, I guess, around the late nineties. And I had a lot of friends that all of a sudden wanted to surf and I was taking them surfing and realizing that they were having so much more fun than I was on shitty days. Right. <laughs> and starting to feel envious, like, like going, God, this is awesome. You're now at the beginning of this thing. And in a, in a way, um, as frustrating as it is, and as much as you're always wanting to get better, get better, and thinking, 
it's like in a way that's the most satisfying part of the whole thing. Um, right. The early parts when you can see your progress by the month or by, even by the week, you can see it go, going up. And you know, the last few you know decade or two, my surfing was still improving on some level, but also kind of. So it was just, but it was pretty flat. You know, it just wasn't going down, which was I was grateful for in my forties. But it was only improve. It was really hard to detect where it was um, getting better on a technical level. I was still enjoying puzzling through all the things and finding new breaks but when month by month you can see your own progress what a rush what a rush that was and uh i, I suppose all my really fond a lot of my really fondest memories are from the first uh three or two or three or four years of surfing and that and um you know so you know when it, the coop my own kook years that was the kook part and it yeah. was the best part you know yeah, yeah, that's something that I always remind um, students, especially in the team formats. Something I started doing this year is putting together a team of relatively beginner surfers, you know, more proficient than completely beginner, um, you know, enough to get out there on their own and do the thing on their own. But the there's always somebody who's the lowest level, you know, performance and all that. And I always make sure to remind that person, like, you should be the most excited because, for one, you're surrounded by better surfers. That's going to make right. you better. And for right. two, you have the most growth potential. Right. You have the right. most, you're going to, in these two months that we have of this season, right. you're going to be the one who grows the most. Right. Uh, you know, because you have so much to improve on. And that should excite you, you know, that, 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 in, that endeavor before you. Whereas these other people are going to be working on the same one little thing over and over and hope to see a little difference in two months. Right. Yeah. I, I, I remember um, the first summer I served in 69 was at Santa Monica Pier in the breakwater in just riding whitewater. The second summer was about a third of a mile south. This is in Santa Monica um, at Pico Street, right next to Bay Street, which is where all the, like, the cool kids hung out. And I got to be the grommet of this group, older group. And the third summer, um, my parents, when I could convince them, would start driving me up and dropping me off at Malibu for the day. Because Malibu was I don't know, 15 miles or 20 miles up the coast. And then I actually found out I could ride the bus up there with my board, which is amazing. But hmm. so you start off at, I get to Malibu on my third summer. And if you've been surfing these really shitty beach break waves, like I had Santa Monica breakwaters, literally about the worst wave imaginable, but it was safe. And there was a lifeguard there. And my parents were happy dropping me off when I was only nine. And then Bay Street's the same thing, except a little bigger, you know, and we had a the whole area is blackballed except there's the one little block where all this we're all just crammed in surfing closeouts and it was you know and stoked to be doing it but when um when i got dropped off at malibu for the first time and you're just looking at this point it was um i mean it was like dorothy stepping out of the black and white into the color I mean, it was like and there was my next five years because i started off at the base of the point with my friend jay and you're just writing whatever scrappy leftovers it wasn't even that much better than bay street because we're way, way on the inside you're just hoping to get a little angle before it closes out you know not too far from the pier yeah and then you know for three summers or you know we just worked our way up and i remember Malibu changes, the sand changes a lot. And first point's kind of always there, but the years that I surfed it a lot, second and third point were also pretty more distinct than they are now for because of the way the river was, the the Malibu River was opening up. And, you know, it was just this progression where we've worked our way to the top of first point, And then we sometimes would dart up to second point and then back. And then, and then you know, third point for two or three years, you just watch those guys because it was... That was, you know, that was where all the really good surfers were. So this was like in 71, 72. And then, you know, the third, the third summer or whatever, we were out there on the inside of third point, working our way into that whole thing. And then by high school, I was, you know, out there with the good guys. And so um, just that, you know, there, there was a whole progress just within this one break. Right, right. And and years, I, you know, years of learning and years of graduating on to the next step just at one little spot. Yeah, it's like back to that thing I was saying, like, and again, I don't mean to like 
make it sound trivial, but it's like this whole notion of just leveling up in a, in a, in a, in a game, it, you know, but it was a game that was like, um, and it was, it wasn't just that surf, it was also, um, figuring out how to steal food from the Jack in the box across the street. And it was, <laughs> who are we, you know, and there was, there was certain, there were these big kids that kind of took us in and, uh, which of, you know, between Jay and I, who, you know, who's, who's, who's the cooler kid who like, who's got more friends of the older guys and, and knowing who we could kind of heckle because we had the backing of the big of the, you know, and it was just like this whole thing that um, it was a whole different sort of world contained within that uh, strip of beach that um, I don't know, you know what, maybe everyone feels that way about there might be people who can talk this way about a, um, a parking lot they used to hang out in for three years. I, I don't know, you know, this is just my, this was my reality from age 11 to, you know, 16 or whatever, but um, no, I think that's totally valid across, you know, so many sports, endeavors, hobbies, activities, you know, there's, you naturally, it's growth. It's, that's the definition yeah. of growth. You start at the bottom and you work your way up as you improve and earn your way through the, the social, right. um, aspects of it too. I, I think the thing I like the most, I think, again, the thing I get back to though, is that it, the other thing I loved about it surfing, and it's still true again, by and large, not true in the wave pool though, is that, um, uh, there was no regulation or supervision. It was, you know, so starting with, you know, it was the youngest kids were the two of us aged, whatever, 10 and 11. And the oldest, you know, the big, the, the, the main guys back then surfing was a younger sort of sport back then in that you didn't see that many people who were 30. Right. So this beautiful surf break, and it's just a, uh, um, it was off radar. There was a lifeguard here, but you know, nobody's telling us when to go in or come out and nobody's um there was no regulation of it and i i always kind of liked that part of it too and never did very well with team sports and and you know you you form your little alliances and have your little uh you have your enemies out there and and uh it was just this a little it was just this bubble it was just this little world this little almost like a little um no violence game of thrones sort of, i don't know game of thrones but it was just a whole it was just a whole adventure thing and yeah. um i yeah, like yeah. it i like that nobody was there was no like you know when i take my son skiing um having to stand in line to get on a chairlift to you have to get on a, you have to get on this thing that somebody has you have to get up there before it opens and it opens and you get to do it until they close it and like right right you know, there were there were times at malibu you know where uh if it was full moon or whatever we just surf into the dot into into night mm -hmm. nobody, nobody was saying you can't do that you just do right, it right right or you'd Nothing get there super early and paddle out in the dark and right. um anyway anyway yeah no it's good stuff but um so you know something to change the topic a little bit i was thinking about how you probably are in the in the know in, in detail even of more surfers lives and and their stories than anybody are in the world arguably you know, you've done so much work to, to create this comprehensive encyclopedia of surfers and surf breaks and terminology and so on. So uh, did you ever like come upon a surfer or maybe I should phrase the question like this, who is your favorite surfer in terms of lifestyle and the way they did it? And did you ever find a surfer that you're like, man, this guy just drove, like made the perfect line through life with surfing, you know, whether it's the competitive guy or the free surfer, did anybody strike you as like they did it right with surfing, you know, and wish you could have done it that way? Yeah, it's a, it's funny because when I think of who my favorite surfers are, the older I get, the more that the answer to that question has something to do with uh, who they were as people and how they got through their lives as in combination with how great of a surfer they are. And I don't know this guy very well. I've only talked to him a couple of times on the phone. Um, and I, and he's always been pretty private. So I don't really know if I'm putting something onto him that doesn't, that it's, it's a little bit in my head, but I don't think I am. And that's um, a Hawaiian surfer named Barry Kaniapuni, hmm. who uh, um, was probably was in his prime in the, in the late sixties and early seventies mid 70s although he was a really good longboard surfer um as a teenager 
And surf-wise, he's an easy. It's an easy pick for me because he surfed. Uh, he had a really distinct uh, style. It's almost hard to describe because there was a lot of there was a lot of motion with his. Like uh, there was there was two surfers that were great at Sunset Beach, and they were so different. It was Barry Kaniapuni, who was sort of the jazzy freestyle like Hendrixy. Just you never knew what was going to happen next, where he was making it up literally as he went every time and there was jeff hackman who by his own admission was the guy who was incredibly precise and polished and you really kind of knew what he was going to do but he did it so well that you you loved it as well mm-hmm. and barry um and i love both i you know i i ended up surfing trying to surf like jeff hackman but because I, don't, I think it was a fool's errand to ever try to surf like Barry Kanapuni because he was so different. But Barry um, didn't live on the beach when he probably could have. He lived sort of off the beach. He didn't, um, he was not disdainful of the scene the way like, you know, Mickey Dora was, but he certainly, he was married younger. He had kids earlier. Um, he just never seemed like he was part of all that. And he just had a whole life going on off the beach, he made boards for Lightning Bolt. And um, I'm not religious myself, but it turns out he's part of the, I think he was a, a Mormon uh, elder or something in the Mormon church this whole time. And so he's, he had this whole life separate to this. And he, and when I see him now and see interviews with him from, you know, from back then, uh, there was a part of him that to me seemed um, settled and comfortable in his own skin, you know, and mm-hmm. he didn't, unlike Hackman who had his problems with drugs and, and sort of went into the surf biz and flamed out and Barry just seemed to know what he wanted early when it was family and it was community and it was surfing and just did it. And he just seemed um, more together than other guys who I, who's surfing I admired just as much. So um, in the times I did, did talk to him, I got that feeling just from the conversation. So mm-hmm. um like He's balanced. the guy that I think I sort of think the the, the most of, and it's a funny thing. Um, if you go look at clips of Barry Kaniapuni surfing, um, without the context of what it was, what other people were doing in in 1970 or 71, when he was sort of at his peak, it's hard to it's sort of hard to get a sense of how far advanced he was or what he was doing that was different. Um, and it's one of those things where. Um, it's some far down the road point. I'm not sure people are going to get why some some of us feel like he was um, so amazing. You know, yeah. Jeff Hackman, you can kind of tell, you can see, you can, but, and, and Barry's whole thing is so uh, sort of freestyle and it's not, he's not doing big gouging turns, especially off the top. He wasn't like a guy that went off the top and did huge, um, so I don't know if if people who listen are listening to this or or anyone under fifty for that matter would can really understand well, what I he think, was doing. Well, I think I think that's the imp- I, I I you know I was pleased to write that question down for myself, but now I'm even more happy that I asked it because now they can understand. You know why did you appreciate his him as a surfer and human? You know because obviously there's plenty of guys to pick that are great surfers. Right. But for the right. reasons you picked Barry is it, I'm well, glad picked, that it's out but, there now. But I also like I would lo- I would be happy to take back everything I said about Barry as a human being and just say just as a surfer, I still feel as strongly like he's still there's still something when I see his surfing that just um, um, it just sets off something way inside my head, just buzzing, like mm-hmm. just watching him. And no, I understand. And that, I don't, yeah. I, it's almost hard. Again, it's hard. to. It's almost like trying to describe why um, um, a certain a piece of music or musician affects you. I, I always feel a little bit sure. ridiculous. Sure, it's sure, the sure. Whole, the whole thing about dancing, trying to dance about architecture doesn't, you know, you can't do it. It's hard, but it, it gets right. up in me and, and um, he's the guy. Yeah. Cool. For me. Uh, well, I know you got to go soon, Matt, but there's one last thing I got to ask you just like last time. Last time you gave us a great yeah. story about how you ditched your board into Mike Purpose and it was hilarious. So many people wrote in to say like that was such a great story. The, and all uh, these years of your surfing, I know you got another one down there in the vaults. I was thinking uh, <laughs> when I was looking at those pictures of you and uh, Coach Evan at 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 uh, in Hurricane. Is that, Larry. Is, that a, is that a secret break? Or am I allowed to say it? Or 
No, it's not secret. It's it's Montauk, isn't it? It's, uh, it's, yeah, uh, yeah. Well, Montauk is an entire town. No, no, it's not Montauk. It's uh, what's the name of the place in front of the rich houses? The, uh, um, there's a lot of those. <laughs> oh, uh, it, well, it's the camp. It's the Camp Hero. It's the point, Montauk Point. Okay. Uh, anyway, there's a couple I, of coves and points. So, but you'd be right in the area to to say that all. I, I was I was looking at that. Those going. Oh my God! I want to ride those waves. And part of me was also going. And I know if I rode those waves, eventually I'm going to get caught inside, and I'm going to hate that part about it. Because I so because I know that you did, right? I mean, did you get course, caught inside yeah. that day? Yeah. Right. Yeah. And that was always the thing I I, I uh, hated the most in surfing, and I was the most fearful of. And no doubt, not just because of you know the physical part of it, but I had you know, I had. A couple of real experiences, like the one I told you about with Mike Purpose, where I, that were uh, pretty flagrantly embarrassing. <laughs> and I have another one, which when I was a few years younger, uh, I was probably in sixth or seventh grade, and this was the probably sixth grade, fourth, fifth, sixth. And it was the first time I'd gone out at Venice Breakwater, which is normally a pretty calm, easy to surf place. I think now it's just all the all of the um, you know, the dot com, all, all the techies out there sort of riding soft tops and stuff. But now and then Venice Breakwater would get big and it would. And I think the sand has changed so much. The brakes really different. And I've seen really good rights coming off one end of the breakwater. But when I was there uh, as a kid, if it got big enough, there would be big lefts coming off the other side of the breakwater. Mm-hmm. And I'd been surfing breakwater for a couple of years in the wintertime. And I remember um, I'd just gotten my first new surfboard. So it would have been 71. It was a it was a Russell Surfboards twin fin. It was five six and it looked like a bullet. It had this big fat bottom, just thick, fat bottom, parallel rails up to sort of a crayon pointy nose. And it was orange and yellow, and it was the best thing I'd ever seen. Like this twin fin was amazing and I loved it. And I'd been out on a few bigger days, and by bigger I mean you know six foot faces or something. And I remember um, a friend of mine saying, "You're doing bottom turns just like Jeff Hackman." And I, I'd never had a compliment to this day that meant more to me than that one because I was dropping <laughs> down, and I could do, I could fake like I was surfing like Jeff Hackman. I could do a turn <laughs> on my five six Russell Twin, and it looked you know an approximation of an eleven year old doing a turn like Jeff Hackman. And then a few weeks later, we got it was a really big swell. And it was, I mean, a lot bigger. It was probably, you know, 10 or 12 or maybe even 15 foot on the face. And I, I was all pumped up because, you know, my friend had said I'd surf like Jeff Hackman and I was going to go out and take go to this next level like we were talking about, right? I was still very much leveling up. Mm-hmm. And I paddle out. It was glassy. It was morning. It was big, beautiful lefts. And this break is usually so bad. And this was a day where it was actually breaking off the breakwater. I still have dreams about this day all the time. Because wow. it would break, the breakwater uh, didn't go out perpendicular to the beach. It was sort of like um, parallel to the beach. Hmm. And it was big enough that it was, those waves were breaking and then exploding onto the breakwater. It was sort of terrifying. And then it would hit the edge of it and peel off left, right? And so you'd be looking at these gnarly waves hitting the breakwater. And it was, it, it, that kind of scared me. But you weren't sitting over there. You were just having to watch it. Right, right. And um, I, I was doing what I always do is I sit a little bit far and I've always sat a little inside of the pack and I get out there and some uh, wave comes in under the pack. I grab it and I ride it and I kick out and I go, Oh, that was bitching. And I go back out, do the same thing. And a slightly bigger wave comes in. And this one I rode for, you know, 75 yards down the beach, the best wave I'd ever had in my life. And it was the biggest wave I'd ever had in my life. And I kicked out going, I am a, basically on my way to being a big wave surfer that was i was I could, i've done it i've figured it out i've cracked the code on my on my five six russell twin fin it might have been God, anyway and i go back out i i take up the same position i'd been in and the, a really big set came in and uh i ditched my board i had a bungee cord leash just you know and it just it just it was a, a leash i bought at the marine sur- surplus it just snapped and there goes my board and I'm down. I was tiny. I was probably weighed 75 or 80 pounds, just getting thrashed around. And I came up just panicked, like, <gasps> and here comes another wave. And, it, and down I go again, come up and panic. And I was really close to losing my shit. And one of the big kids, Alan Sarlo, famous for surfing Malibu, who was, I think, three years older than me, 
but already fully bearded. Alan was just huge. And he drove a van with an airbrush on the side of it. And he, as if by magic, just showed up, was next to me. And he said, are you okay, Matt? And I said, no, I'm not. And the third wave was coming. And Alan, he, I don't, do you know who he is? He's just massive. He's a no. famous Malibu surfer. I'm going to definitely look him up. Oh yeah, Alan Sarlo. He's he, you know he's been surfing Malibu at the cutting edge. At third, he was the guy at third point that I was watching when I was younger because he was three years older and he had a pink board. And he was so good, um, and huge. And he came up and he just grabbed me like under my arms, and he goes, "Take a deep breath." And I went down, and it was like I'd been strapped to, um, you know, I, I it, was, it was just like I was inside. I, I was. Every, nothing shook. It, like I was this huge guy, powerful guy was just holding me underneath. And we just went like this a little bit. And we came up and there was no more waves. And he goes, okay, you, I think you can get in now. Right. So I had to get rescued by a guy. He was also on the Zephyr team with me later on. So Al, I've never not said thanks to him for this. He got me under this wave and told me to sh swim for shore. And I, I did. And I realized at that point that I probably wasn't a big wave. <laughs> surfer, you know, but I, 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 I tell the story because man, I got rescued so often when I was young and I just kept going back out, you know, and the next day, I think I probably what I would end up doing if it was still big, I would just sit and watch it for a lot longer until I was so mad at myself that I would go out and try again, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I remember like this, um, that feeling of, of relief that Alan had done this and also a little bit pissed off at myself because I, I wanted to be bigger so I didn't have to have someone hold me down, you know? <laughs> and so um, it doesn't, you know, it, 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 that story, I didn't have anybody yell at me, but I did have to get rescued a lot when I was a kid. And um, that one with Alan, um, but I, skin, you know, that, I think that's going to resonate so, with so many people because regardless of age and size, people understand the moment of fear in the ocean and hopelessness that you feel, you know, especially that when you're disconnected from your board, uh, you know, and it's just, it's just going to make, it makes me smile because already I can yeah. think of the times where, you know, that happened to me and maybe I wasn't getting rescued or something, but the panic and the, you know, and then coming out of it and, and, and even the, the leading uh, or the following experiences like now being more hesitant and a little more right. conservative in big waves and then just like you said getting so angry that you have to sit there and watch it because you're scared so you just got to go out and try it again and then maybe oh, it then all happens all over again to you well, the other thing that happens is that somebody comes down the beach who i think that i'm better than or as good as and they look at it and they look at me and then they go out they go well fuck now i got to go out because he just went out you right. know and that kind of thing right the other thing i remember like at, at this lesson that i didn't learn that time with alan and i wish i had it took me years years after was that uh caught inside was to actually not think about trying to get under the waves so I, I was always thinking got to get through this to get back out i got to get through this wave and get back out is to just turn and look at the shore and go okay my next place i want to be is there like mm. it's like there was a mental thing about but I had in Venice that day where I need to get through this set. I have to get through this set to in order to, you know, be okay. And the truth is you don't, you need to get to the beach and to do that and, and be happy. So anytime the waves thrashing me around when I was in my original mindset, it was preventing me from getting outside. Mm. Anytime the waves thrashing me around when I'm thinking I gotta get to the beach, I'm getting closer to the beach. Right. You know? so Just a little was, change in mindset. Was, a little change. Right. That was the lesson I didn't learn then, but I should have learned. Um, so that's anyway. that's funny you say that because somehow early in my life I did learn that. Right. And so, it's so and, important. And I would always go out like when I any of those times that I'd be standing on the beach a little apprehensive about paddling out. I'd remind myself, well, you can always just turn around and get blasted right to the beach, you right. know? That's right. And I've right. had some wild boogie board, belly board, whatever you want to call it, rides in the whitewater. But I'll tell you what, I hung on for dear life, and a lot of times I just rocket shipped back to the every, beach. Yeah, I mean, every foot you get closer, is it should be, like, all that thrashing, in a sense, should be relief, because, okay, right, I'm getting thrashed, right. but I'm getting closer to closer, the Closer, and more inside, where right. theoretically, the you know, every wave that hits you is a little less bad. Whereas right, if you're fighting right. to get out, you're keeping yourself in that impact that, zone. Right, that's right. Yeah. Well, Matt, thank you so much for coming back on, dude. It's such a pleasure. Chris, it's been great talking to you.